why not at a young age start teaching kids about self-discipline? Let's start talking about conflict resolution. Let's start talking about how do you go about managing your own stress levels? Imagine if you're a kid and you now learn how to how to like regulate your breathing in a way where think about yourself when you get anxious, your breath is trapped in your chest and you get very what if as a third, fourth grader, you're taught to breathe deeply and like and, and regulate your breathing? What if you're taught at a young age how to speak publicly? How do you manage group dynamics? Those are things that we need to be teaching kids and we're not. We're putting them to groups of four and we're like, okay, go talk about this and come back. You're listening to What's the Lesson, a podcast that inspires girls and those that love them to grow in their knowledge, skills, and abilities while working towards becoming the most confident version of themselves. We're your hosts, Jill and Mary, once corporate leaders and entrepreneurs turned confidence coaches who are obsessed with raising the next generation of female leaders. We're the founders of Girls Mentorship, a personal growth and development company for teen and tween girls. We're here to give them the tools to be resilient, problem solvers, and to simply be good people. Everything we wish we had access to at their age. We'll be sitting down with versatile guests to talk about things like how to manage expectations, bounce back from failure, even strategies to break up with a toxic relationship. We want this community to lift one another up. So starting right now, you get to practice reaching your hand back and bringing other girls along for the ride. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. What's the lesson? It is your girls, the dynamic duo, <laughs> the, hype Mary, squad. the hype squad. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. Mare, how you doing today? I'm hanging in there. I'm ready to put out another bomb conversation, especially this one, because Mm -hmm. honestly, we get asked a lot of things over and over and over and over and over again. (laughs) And I'm excited to have a resource for direction to direct people down an alleyway. So I think we've started honing in more and more and more on our podcast and our guests, and it's taken a little while to shake it out, but I'm excited to intro who we've got on the other side of the screen. (gasps) Should we let let them in on who we're talking to today? (laughs) Go for it. Okay. So Instagram works in the most beautiful ways. Well, community. Community works in the most beautiful of ways because we were introduced to this particular person through a friend near, 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 and dear to our hearts, the Ayala's. Um, Kara and Mike, we've gotten to, to know them over the years as well as mentor their daughter. Yep. And they've just been such incredible, such an incredible support system for mm-hmm. us. So whenever Mike slides into our DMs and says, hey, <laughs> I've got a person for you. I got a guy. We take it very seriously. <laughs> so on the other side of our screen, Dennis, what's going on? Um, Dennis Meralda with building men and it feels like girls mentorship but the opposite so welcome to the show chill mary thank you so much for the intro i appreciate it i love that i got a guy i'm a jersey <laughs> guy, guy so that resonates with me i got a guy i got a guy, I got a guy. there's always yep. a guy it's nice to have guys right you it, for oh. you know it's always nice to have a referral and so we struck up a conversation we met on zoom prior to this and you let us in on what you're doing and you just said it you are located in east coast land 
Jersey. Jersey. Is it the Jersey Shore? Are you? Um, Jim, I grew up. I was born. Yeah, I, I was born not too far away from where they recorded Jersey Shore. I, I grew up in that central Jersey area. Now I'm on the west coast of Jersey on the Delaware River, closer to Philly, actually, which is challenging because I'm a diehard New York fan through and through. And now wow. my, my the, every media influence out there is is Philly. So it's challenging <laughs> for me right now on the on the west coast of Jersey. I can't even imagine. I I have been to the East Coast, just visited, but haven't. I just feel like the East Coast. There's there's an East Coast vibe that I wouldn't want to even get into like a sports scuffle with anybody <laughs> from the East Coast. They're super passionate. They love their team. So I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine like what. What that, that looks like what that looks like if you were wearing a New York jersey and somebody else pops off and there's a spat going I'm like I don't know I don't I don't want to be a part of it Oh absolutely I mean we are very passionate in this area about our sports teams almost to a fault I would say passionate about our teams but it's one thing I mean that like that's one of the jersey vibes that we have out here you're definitely it's this you know roll up your sleeves passionate um you know lunch pal bring your you know you're you're bringing your A game all the time kind of vibe out here, which is awesome. And it's funny. I mean, we can get into it. But after being raised on in North Jersey for so many years, now moving to the area where I'm in right now, I'm actually my, the, my girlfriend is a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. So being a Giants fan and, and dating an Eagles fan, there's this dichotomy that we're, we're constantly dealing with. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's funny. Okay, well, let's get into it. Obviously, one can deduce what building men means. I think there could, you could derive a couple different definitions out of that. So to let our guests know kind of who you are, what you want them to walk away with, will you tell us two things that they will be walking away with by the end of this episode? Absolutely. I mean, one thing is that the education system is vastly underserving young men in in public education right now. I was a middle school principal for many, many years, a uh, total of 13 or 14 years as a middle school principal, 20 years in education. And it was my passion to help young men and we could certainly get into that into the crazy journey that I had in education but one thing they will come away with without a doubt is how the education system is underserving uh, young men and society in general I would say like what are the messages that young men are hearing in society right now and the second thing is something that I recognized recently and I'll throw this out there to the audience the term abracadabra when you think of abracadabra you think of magic right and so the literal I translation <laughs> right yeah it's yeah. where you think Abra of like Harry yeah or <laughs> Right. Or who's that? Steve Miller? Was that Steve That's Miller Steve band? Steve Miller band. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Cool. But the the term is is actually translated literally from ancient Aramaic, which is one of the literal translations of the Bible, one of the first languages, means with my words I create. So one of the things that I talk about is how powerful the words are that we use when we speak to ourselves and in how that translates into when we are speaking to young men, young women, and the power in the words that we're using. So not mm -hmm. just what the education dis system did to not serve young men, uh, what society is telling young men, but also like, what can we do to help them by the words that we're using and not using with young men as well? I mean, that in and of itself is so powerful. Total tangent here, but we had an Instagram post up, I don't know, like a week ago about just how you show up, how you, what your integrity is. And somebody put a one-off random comment on it and said, well, actions speak louder than words. And I was like, to a point, 
Like you don't want somebody giving you lip service. You want them to follow through with what they say they're going to follow through with action wise. But honestly, your words have so much power. And I think whoever made this stupid nursery rhyme up, like whatever you say, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say sticks to me and bounces off of, bounces off of me, sticks to you. And it's Mm -hmm. like, no, no, gosh, words words have so much power over us. And for years they stick with you. And it could be just a minor thing that somebody said, or a minor thing that you said to yourself that has a chokehold over you for the rest of your life, if you're not careful. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. It's like sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt us. Words are so, so powerful. And that's something that I absolutely work with young men about the words that we use in particular when we're speaking to ourselves, how much power there is in that. So you mentioned that you came from the education system and your first point was you are seeing resoundingly how underserved boys and men are, young men are in the system. Take us back to when you were an educator, when you were a teacher, when you were a principal, what did you notice that was missing? And was there a specific moment or conversation or experience that made you then say, I need to step in and do this work? So my journey goes back to, again, Jersey Shore timeframe. It was the late 90s when I went to college, my first year as a teacher I taught in central New Jersey was my third day on the job was 9-11 in central New Jersey. So my kids and my school were, were pervasively impacted by the uh, attack on the World Trade Center, right? So going back to that time frame in college, not only did I study education, but I also minored in sociology and was fascinated with group dynamics and the role that we play com- as a community with, our, with the young men in our schools are, as well. So part of the thing that I did was I interned, I interned at a, a group home for young men. And a lot of the boys were there because of the court system or because of the Department of Children and Families. They were in an abusive situation at home. And I recognized all the things that they were going through and how we weren't really listening to what they had to say. So fast forward after my career in as, a, as an educator, I fast tracked my um, degree to get my master's degree in educational leadership. And I started as an assistant principal in 2005. And right away, my first thing in the job, I recognized all the issues were with the boys I was dealing with, like the overt things that were going on, the, what? you know, the aggressive behavior, okay. the, the fighting. I was say, the, what was it? Okay. Yeah, it was, the, they were coming to school later, not coming. They were getting tossed out of class for being disrespectful. They were, they were the issues that I was dealing with. 90% of my time was, was with the boys, like as far I, as the I disciplinarian the in the school. <laughs> right. <laughs> This one was but the, the thing with the girls, the thing, they were much more subtle in what was going on. You know, I'm sure the things that you see on a regular basis, it's a lot of those things that are not as like aggressive in nature that, that right. we're seeing. What girls do more is retreat. Mm-hmm. If they don't, they well, push it's behind, down. It's behind the back. It's yeah. subtle. It's, yep. yeah, we're conniving. We're a little bit more conniving. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And so for me, what I knew how to deal with the boys more than the girls, which is like people are asking you, what can we do for the boys? They would ask me the same thing. Luckily enough, we had a really dynamic guidance counselor in our school and she had a girls group. She called it Girls Speak Out. It was a phenomenal uh, girls social group and almost every girl in the school was involved with this program. And I remember it was my first year as an assistant principal and um, her name was Betty Vanikov and I'll never forget her, Betty Van. Her and I, uh, we did a night where we talked to uh, middle school parents about how do you talk to your kids about drugs and sex 
what do you what do you say what do you not say like what are the rules here and so she invited me to co-present with her and i'll never forget we had a pretty big audience there were like 50 or 60 parents which in a school of about 400 that was really well received for them to come out for a night and there was this one parent she raises her hand and she's like i've got a problem here and i'm looking around i'm like what's, what's your problem lady give me a break here like we're trying to do our best right she goes look around the room she goes there are 50 parents here every single parent here is the parent of a female student who's talking to the boys who's talking to the boys right now they feel like they they have this elitist attitude they're they're they deserve the girls to do this and that to them like that's how the boys felt at the time so she's like mr Moralda, why don't you do a boys group mrs van does the girls group you do a boys group and i'm thinking i'm 28 years old my first year as an assistant principal i'm barely keeping my head above water i'm like thanks a lot lady Thanks for calling me out publicly about this. Now I and, have to do something about it. Right. And now I'm like, all right, well, put my money where my mouth is. I got a guy and here's, I'm the guy. That's, I'm, I'll be the guy. So I decided to start a boys group and it was in October of 2005. And all the boys joined. Every boy in the school joined this group. And I was thinking, oh my God, this is absolutely amazing. They all joined. Well, it turns out they wanted their group to, they thought they were going to, you know, talk crap, you know, bitch about the girls. And they were going, you know, <laughs> we were going to talk about boobs yeah. and butts and things. And, and I was like, all right, well, first tell me, what do you think? What is a man to you? What does it mean to be a man in society today? And here's the thing that's so interesting is that what they said is basically how I was raised and things that I thought what it meant to be a man back in the you know late 80s early 90s when i was in that same times time stamp and what they told me pretty much was to be a better man meant that you were bigger faster stronger you could physically dominate you were a better athlete so it was more in the competitive nature you could overtake other people like just your physical dominance over another person that meant that you were a better man so the kids that were better athletes in middle school into high school they were seen as the man right and the second thing that they told me was the more girls that you can be with, I don't know how graphic we can get on this show, but the more girls that you could sleep with pretty much, mm -hmm. or the relative or uh, the hotness, quote unquote, of the girls that you can be with meant that you were a better man. So the kid in, in, in middle and high school that was getting with the most number of girls, they were the man. Like that. And I still remember hearing those things. And that was something that I thought when I was at that age range. And then the last thing that they told me was it was about the stuff the things that you can accumulate, the, the sneakers, the, the car, the, you know, like it was like material goods that you could accumulate, right? So it was athletic um, ability, sexual prowess, and then e economic success. And what we did, I basically told them like, listen, all of those things could potentially be taken away from you. So if you're basing your masculinity, if you're basing what it means to be a man on extrinsic things that could potentially be taken away, say you, you break your leg and you can no longer compete, does that mean you're less of a man? If there's you have a medical condition and there's, you're not, no longer able to like perform sexually, does that mean that you're less of a man? Or if you lose your job or the market crashes and you don't have the same financial ability, does that mean that you're less than a man? So what we did was we started to base masculinity, redefine what it meant. Like, let's talk about things that are intrinsically motivated in nature. So what about being accountable? What about, what about resiliency? What about living your life in service of other people? Like let's, let's determine our masculinity around things that no one can take away from us and then base it on relationships as well. You know, you think about as we get towards the twilight of our years, nobody goes back and says, I wish I, you know, played another game. I wish I was with another girl or I wish I stayed later at work. You're like, I wish I spent more time with loved ones and family members and, and did something to leave a legacy or to make a difference for someone else that came after me.
I don't know. There might be that guy at the 20 year high school reunion who's still talking about being able to throw that football over those mountains. You, you know? remember oh. Friday Night Lights? <laughs> the, the best quarterback. The best four the... years of my life. But we're not focused on that guy because, you know, he's clearly still living his glory days. But what an interesting concept. When you said these things, when you said it's not about A, B, and C, it's instead about these things that we can control, these intrinsic qualities that we get to control that no one can take away from us. Mm -hmm. Was there a distinct moment where you remember light bulbs going off or did it take a little bit more than just that first day? We're not talking about boobs and butts. Yeah. Or kids calling you out like, oh, yes, that's really what it is that's what it means to be a man, like challenging, like, yep. no, that's, I, I'm not buying that's this. That's not what my dad said. That's not what movies said. That's not what the music I'm listening. Mm -hmm. That's not what Ice Cube said, right? Like there's, there's all of these external influences saying these things that makes it hard for the new assistant principal to come in and be like, hey guys. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And there were probably times that my voice squeaked like that too, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's interesting, there, there were probably four points from what you just said I, that I appreciate. One is the father piece. Like I did get a lot of pushback from kids. Many of the kids that were in the program did not have a father or a father figure in their life or it was a very weak father figure in my opinion. But a lot of the fathers did push back saying like, what is this program? You think my, my kid's gonna learn how to be a man from you? Who the hell are you kind of thing? So that was, that was an uphill battle that I fought um, as I ran the Billy Men program. But to your to your point, it's it was really important for me to be intentional about building community. In my opinion, whenever you have a group of people together, there is an opportunity to build community, but it needs to be done intentionally. We're not a community just because we're all together in the same area, like for educators, just because you have a group of kids that are together for the for third period every day. That doesn't mean they're a community. What you need to be is intentional about creating that community. So what I was cognizant of doing is I use the mantra slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And what I mean by that is like, like it takes time to, to you put in the reps and you, you're really intentional about like slowly, but surely like letting, letting yourself into the conversation where the kids want to lean in a little bit more. So what I started to do was share situations and experiences that allowed me to be vulnerable. And so the kids didn't just see me as like the assistant principal. I was the disciplinarian in the school. So if they got in trouble, they came to my office. So there was another uphill battle to climb because I'm asking them to lean into conversations and to be vulnerable with me. Yet if they got tossed out of class, I was the one that was calling mom saying that so-and-so was suspended from school. So there was another challenging piece there. But what I decided to do right off the bat was I need to lean in and be vulnerable here with the kids and share with them things that were going on in my mind when I was in seventh and eighth grade. So I talked to them. I said, listen, I remember being in eighth grade and I was the last one to hit puberty. So I remember all my friends were like walking around and they had armpit hair. So we were at the beach or whatever. And I was so nervous about that where I remember like I would wear like long like shirts to the beach because I didn't want the girls to see that I didn't have armpit hair. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds silly right now, but it was one of those things that I was so worried about that and I couldn't change it. It wasn't like I could like shave my head and super glue some hair in my armpits and that would make a difference. <laughs> but I remember thinking, okay, well, the girls are going to think I'm a little boy because I haven't had puberty yet. So that was on my mind when I was in seventh and eighth grade. Right. So I said that off the bat right in the beginning and I could see some of the kids were looking around like, oh, I'm not the only one. Oh, I, so I was mean. able to some of that vulnerability with them. Then a couple of them were like, you know what? I'm really struggling with this. 
where my, you know, my, my dad's not around and my mom is really hard on me because she doesn't understand this, that, and the other. So then what happened was the boys started leading into those conversations as well. Once that happened, it was so powerful that they were like, I had seventh grade boys that were in this meeting, like sharing some deep things, crying their eyes out. And the other kids in the group were like putting their arms around them like, yo, bro, it's going to be all right. I'm here for you. Where when I started, that never would have happened. If they saw a young man crying, they'd be like, you P word, get out of here, you know, whatever. Where it was just going through the reps of me sharing that level of vulnerability with the kids and normalizing those conversations. We also said like, unless it was something that was going to be detriment to you, what's said here stays here. Right, right. I want to extract what you said about you being vulnerable first. So, what we hear a lot from our parents is, oh my gosh, I need to practice these things at home for myself so that I can support my daughter. Now, if I were to ask you who you are today, if you were to go back to your the, the younger version of yourself, what would you say to him when you didn't have the arm hair mm-hmm. that you you know, that you thought your masculinity was wrapped up into that because that's what parents are struggling with. Because even though, yes, puberty probably made you feel more like a man, there are girls that we work with that parents don't know how to speak to them. Well, and it's it's just a little bit different, but similar. And it's because they have forgotten I think a lot of it is you know we've we're hardened by our adult responsibilities we forgot what it feels like not to have armpit hair not to be in puberty those feelings that was probably the first time you felt something like that so we don't necessarily know as adults or parents how to put ourselves back in those shoes so we can relate or be vulnerable in Mm -hmm. that way so what advice do you have for parents but if you were to go and talk to your younger self, what would that sound like? How do you start cultivating confidence in yourself when externally it's challenging, you know, like your the external world is is challenging what you're being taught. But how do you start that? So parents listening can be like, oh, maybe this is how I need to approach it. Well, I appreciate the question, Jill. And I think that I went through a pretty significant traumatic experience when I was in sixth grade. If you want, we could dive into it. I don't like, again, I don't mind talking about anything. I'm an open book here, but one thing, or I would say two things to 12 year old or 13 year old me. One thing is that I would tell him is that you impress people with your, your successes, but you connect and you can move people through your struggles. And that's one thing I've certainly recognized is for such a long time, I was buttoned up and I felt like I needed to look, sound, act a certain way for people to be impressed by me. This is going all the way into my adult life. And what I recognized was the only way to truly help other people is by like really stripping everything down. And I'm like, I basically got off of this like soapbox and I was like, listen, I'll roll up my sleeves and, and be right next to you. And here's everything that, that I struggled with to normalize, like it's, it's okay. And even for like when I talk to my own kids, especially my son who's 17 years old right now, you know, I normalize the, 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 the things that are going on in his head. And I'm like, and I start by sharing some of the struggles that I had. And 
just like, hey, listen, when I was 17 years old, I'm 17 years old, I remember thinking this uh, and, and this about school and this about my girlfriend and this about sports. And I really struggled with it. And I just let it out there. You know, I just put it out there and then see, you know, if, if he's going to bite on it. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but then he's like, you know what, Dad, I'm, I'm feeling something similar right now. And so I think as parents, what we want to do is like normalize vulnerability. It's okay to be vulnerable. So I like, and when I think about masculinity, it's that balance between steadfast, unwavering strength, and also compassion and vulnerability. And and how can we, you know, meet in that center spot? The other thing I would tell my 12 year old self is it's okay to be scared. It's okay to cry. I, again, I, a situation that I went through, I was, a, I was so afraid as a, as a kid and it wasn't accepted and normalized by my father. I had a really challenging relationship with my father in that time frame. And I always felt ashamed. So like guilt, you feel guilt for, it's like you're guilty for something that like you do, but you feel shame for who you are, right? And I felt shame for who I was at that time um, because of a couple of situations in, in that middle school time frame. So I would tell my 12 year old self also like, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to cry. It's okay to show emotion right now too. Okay, so you start this group, you're sharing these stories, you're being vulnerable, you're marrying those concepts with these boys and you're seeing progress in them. You said they started, they were hardened, they might've been poking fun at one another. And by the time you got into it, they were openly sharing, crying, supporting one another. Now this was a small like microcosm in your community. Do you feel like since that time, assistant principal you starting this group, impacting and affecting these boys on a great level. Do you think the education system has changed and is serving boys better now? Or is it the same or is it worse? For me to run a building men program in a, in a middle school in 2022, I don't think it, it would be possible. I don't think a school district would say, sure, you're gonna run a, a group just for boys right now. And it's a shame because I do feel like we need to find opportunities for for young men, young women, people that identify in any direction to find their community, to find people that um, that are going through the same thing. Kids want to be a part of a community. They want to feel connected and accepted within a part of a community. Now, you could have a community of chess players. You can have a community of Dungeons and Dragon players, of kids that play basketball, whatever sport. But I also believe young men, young women that are going through the things that they're going through, they need that community, that that group. I also I mean, I left public education in 2019 because I was basically fed up with the way where it was the trajectory of education was heading. So I was a, a school leader in three different schools as an assistant principal in one and a principal in two different middle schools. And I brought this program to the schools where I held the leadership position. And I saw the tremendous impact I I collected data before starting the program and in each school our the suspension rate dropped an, an enormous amount. The first year that I did building men, our suspension rate dropped 400% in one year. The average grades of the kids rose a half letter grade. And now I don't like, I'm not a huge, like, oh, it, it's all about the grades. And I don't believe in standardized tests whatsoever. But what happened was over the course of time, I saw that was, we, we replicated that year after year it was the same kind of thing that we were saying. And I was like, there is, we are onto something here. Fast forward to my last year in education, I was basically told enough of the touchy feely stuff. You're the principal of the school. You need to be spending time making sure that our test scores are higher as compared to our neighboring school district. So it's more about the lesson plans. It's more about the standards, the standardized tests, the curriculum. And to me, that was not what mattered. 
I, I wasn't one of these people that was about the data of the scores or checking teachers' lesson plans. I was like, let's roll up our sleeves and what experiences can we give to these kids, especially around something that involves an emotion that will attach to like their core of who they are. You don't, I mean, you think back, anybody who's listening, you think back to your own experience in education. I'm going to guess it wasn't about a specific like topic, like, oh, I really, really liked learning about the quadratic equation. That was amazing. Or the periodic table. Like it was about this teacher really impacted me or this, this adult in my life impacted me or, or I had an experience in this class and the experience connected me to the learning in other people. Like I'm a total constructivist. You learn by doing. And I feel like, especially for young men who are more um, you know, more aggressive, more assertive in nature, like they, they need that movement on a constant basis. The education system is just failing young men. And so what I'm trying to do now is give them an opportunity, one, to normalize that it's okay if you're, you don't fit into the little box in education. But two, there are outlets for you out there that can help you connect with other individuals that are going through similar things. Right. Last night, my kids had curriculum night. So my husband and I, Ooh. I know, very, <laughs> very so exciting. Much fun. Jill packed her tumbler of wine and <laughs> headed to the school and had a great time. <laughs> so I'm in and I'm listening to curriculum. I went to first grade. My husband went to third grade. And then we convened. We, we shared our experiences with one another. So in first grade, why I, I got excited with this one specific teacher that my son has is because on Fridays, um, well, there's social emotional learning woven throughout her classroom in how she teaches, but specifically on Fridays, they work on growth mindset. So her classroom will stay in their classroom for a few minutes, and then they'll shift to another first grade class and shift to another first grade class. So the kids are getting different experiences from teachers, but learning about who they are. I about fell off my chair. I was like, this is exciting. And then when I talked with my husband, he was like, that was not the experience in third grade. It was like they told us they're learning about um, cursive. I'm like, when? I mean, I'm sure there is something to say about cursive, but he's probably not going to use it when he's an adult well, and he's what probably he probably not going to write anymore. I, right. Like, <laughs> uh, totally he's texting on the computer. And I was like, man, there is such an opportunity for schools and the system to evaluate the system process. Meaning like how, if we have goals to raise good children, there needs to be a system to support that goal. We can't just say this is what we want without the system being oh. in place. Without addressing the other skills that are either lacking or lagging severely. And right. we've had the same or very similar experience to you getting told, hey, that touchy-feely stuff, get it out of here, mm -hmm. test scores only. It feels very difficult to break into schools. And I don't mean after hours. Right. And I mean to break <laughs> like, the barrier. Like of, they do in Stranger Things every season. They yes, get into school somehow, right? I, I don't feel like we need to do that per se, but let's take it all the way back to when they invented the car, right? It was bare bones. There was no side mirrors. There was no airbags. And they got into an accident and they were like, we could use these things to help us drive. Let's, let's advance the vehicle. Let's make it safer. 
it doesn't feel like schools have evolved. It feels it, like the curriculum is very stuck in the late 70s, early 80s, the way they operate. Now, schools have broken off charter schools, private schools, and done things a little bit differently. But every time it seems thus far that we're able to approach a school and say, hey, this is what our company does. This is what we offer. And this is how we could see coming alongside you and supporting you. It's like, that's not in the budget. It's not a priority. Um, we'll send you to this person. You can talk to this person who will send you to this person who will not answer the phone. Right. Gonna say no. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, Mary, that you say that because one thing as a former principal, the amount of money in a budget in a school budget for a public school that's wasted every single year would like your head would explode. First of all, the teachers would like year after year, like what's their budget? They get 400 bucks for the classroom. They order the same exact thing they did last year. So they have a, a closet full of 17,000 post-it notes because that's what they ordered the year before. It really is, it's absurd. But to the point about schools being antiquated in the 70s and 80s, I'll take it all the way back to the turn of the century. The way that schools currently operate isn't much different than they did back when the schooling system was developed in our country. And basically it was created to develop employees, to develop to develop factory workers, not outside of the box thinkers. So it's funny in the podcast that I do right now, a lot of the, the, the people that I interview from all over the world, some of the most successful people out there were not good students. School is, is pretty much a game right now. And, and if you know how to play the game in a correct way, you stay inside of the box, you say, please and thank you. You raise your hand, you walk in a straight line. The kids that are coloring outside of the box a little bit and walking off to the side and challenging the authority in a, in a respectful way even, they're the ones that are getting the C's and D's and getting tossed out of class. And they would be the ones that were in my office. That would be like, you have a fascinating mind. What can we do to harness everything that's going on in there? So it's, it's the kids that were bucking up against the system a little bit that we need to be like, what can we do a little bit differently? And to your point of Jill about, you know, like what your, your, uh, the third grader was learning cursive. I learned about dinosaurs nine times in school. Dinosaurs are awesome, right? They're tremendous, but like how many times do we have to learn my daughter right now? She's going into seventh grade. She's learned about how to like identify the Spanish speaking country capitals. I mean, I could say Siri, what's the capital of San Salvador or else or whatever, Chile, yeah. what's the capital? And they're spending time 180 days, 45 minutes a day or an hour a day on these things. Why not at a young age, start teaching kids about self-discipline. Let's start talking about, conflict resolution. Let's start talking about how do you go about managing your own stress levels? Imagine if you're a kid and you now learn how to how to like regulate your breathing in a way where think about yourself when you get anxious, your breath is trapped in your chest and you get very what if as a third, fourth grader, you're taught to breathe deeply and like and, and regulate your breathing? What if you're taught at a young age how to speak publicly? How do you manage group dynamics? Those are things that we need to be teaching kids and we're not. We're putting them to groups of four and we're like, okay, go talk about this and come back. Okay, well, let's have a let's have a course just about how do you navigate group dynamics? Like how do you give and take? How do you resolve com conflict? How do you cooperate in a productive right. way? Those are things that I really feel like need to be a part of education and they're not. I totally agree. I Last night was a very, it was just, it was so loud in my mind that I'm like, cool, he gets to experience it on Fridays, but what about Monday through Thursday yep. and half of the day on Friday, you know? And I know teachers are doing their best. This is not a knock on what teachers are doing. It's just, 
how do we utilize the time that the kids are already in school? How do we do that better? Because like you said, a lot of the things are going to be at their fingertips at some point. And I, it is important to learn all subjects, but my goodness, the time wasted could be better used time spent learning more about who they are and tools and strategies and coping skills to help them navigate the world that they're living in. Absolutely. Well, and you said it, right? Like the, the outliers. I was very outspoken. I got kicked out of class several times for challenging something a teacher said, probably not in the most respectful way, but I was finding myself pushing back against authority, right? Not self-centered, we call it self-seeking because that's exactly what it was. I was very witty from a super young age. I could come up with a comeback faster than the teacher knew what the hell just came out of my mouth. And I always told I was wrong for that, right? So back to your abracadabra point, right? Your words really create your, your life. And to be told so many times that the way I was acting was wrong, or disrespectful. Yes, to a point, I'm sure it was disrespectful. But nobody ever pulled me aside and said, that wit, honey, that's amazing. That's incredible. Keep it. Honor it. Hone it in. And this isn't the appropriate time to use it, but this is. Here's the avenue for you. Here's an outlet for you. Here's the path that you should follow. It's not wrong, but it's not appropriate in this setting. And right. here's how to use it. I was never told that. So it's almost a shock to me to be where I am now, turning around and reaching my hand back because we just threw a summer camp, right? We had a lot of different personalities in this summer camp, 140 different personalities. And there was a few girls that were very outspoken who were very ha-ha funny. I'm going to insert my personality here. And it was never pointing them out and making them wrong. It was pointing at them and saying, hey, you're funny. I see you. I see yeah. you because I was you. And you're going to be an incredible leader of an incredible corporation one day. But don't get yourself in trouble by doing this in a time that's inappropriate. And you could see the fact that you saw them was probably the first time somebody ever said that to them. You could see it in their face. It was incredible. Or that it was told in that way, right. because I'm sure their whole life they've been told that same thing. Hey, little Janie, be Tone quiet. It down. Tone it down. You know, where it was like Mary actually spent time giving an explanation. And I think that's all kids need is to understand the why. Like why why is it wrong why is it right how do we harness that a little bit more so it was so special to see that this girl did not then shut down she was still very much involved mm. in the rest of camp and every time she then spoke she was challenged to kind of push aside the funny and actually be present with right. us where then we acknowledged her we're like oh my see look at you right yep. It was it's interesting. really, really special. It's interesting. And I, one thing that I teach teachers still to this day, knowing the children you teach, knowing the kids you teach is way more important than knowing the content you teach. Yeah. Tenfold. It's so much more important. I look at it as an iceberg. 
like you think about what's above the waterline of an iceberg and that's what we can we can use our senses to see with kids so we can see you know physical traits we can see that some of their mannerisms we could see we could hear their language we can use our physical traits who they're hanging out with then there's at the waterline those are things that we can dig a little bit so we can do some research so if i'm a teacher it might be their past grades cumulative folder it could be behavior reports things that are at the waterline so much with the kids is below the waterline that we have no idea about unless we get to know them we really can't see like the, the kids their hopes their dreams their desires their strengths their areas for growth their family dynamics it could be traumas that they've experienced and that's our job if we're working with kids is Build the relationships that will help you go below the waterline. And that's where the magic happens. That's when the kids would truly open up when you when they feel like you are investing in them as human beings, not them as a piece of paper or just a, a, like a desk in the classroom. Amen. A number. Nobody wants to feel like a number, nope. like you're shooing them in and well, shooing them out. And nobody wants to feel like a student first. Mm -hmm. Connect to them as a human being first and then the student. Because that's, like you said, that's where the trust is built. That's where the relationship it builds from there. And that's that's where then the connection starts. So when things are going well, it feels in flow. And when things aren't, you have that relationship to, to stand on and, and, and correct it versus ignoring it or looking past it. Absolutely. And, and I look at it this way as well. Kids have developmental needs and they would even translate into us as adults, right? And so I believe that we have these five needs. And when I am working with a, with a group of individuals, it's autonomy. So making sure their voice is a part of the space. Like I value what you have to say. So their need for autonomy, the need for competence, to feel like you're good at doing whatever you're doing and to normalize, you're going to, to be great at something, you have to go through the suck first. You have to be willing to go through putting in the reps and that's okay to, to normalize that. So autonomy, competence, fun. Mm -hmm. Kids need to have fun. They're going to find a way to meet that need. So if you can find, help them find ways to meet that need productively within your environment, even better. The need for relationships and for peers and especially that middle school into early high school age range. It's not what they see in the mirror. It's not how they view themselves. It's how they think their peers view them. Right. So the, it's like that level. So the relationship piece is, is so important. And then safety. Do they feel safe in the environment? Do they feel safe to lean in? So my my big thing, the five are autonomy, competence, fun, relationship, safety. What are you doing to intentionally meet those five developmental needs when you're dealing with with young men and young women? I mean, yeah, couldn't have said it better ourselves. I think a lot of those big fan of Tony Robbins, it's the same thing, right? That's it's the best people seek those things. People who are trying to better themselves seek those things because they know they can grow within them. Yep. So speaking of those five areas, will you tell our audience where, why, how they can find you, work with you, what you're doing to serve this community of building men? Thank you for the opportunity first to be on the podcast. I had a great time. I love what you're doing as well. I think there's, it's so needed to provide spaces for young people to feel a part of anything and especially to normalize the things that they're going through and to normalize everything that they're going through so to, to have mentors um, as female role models in their life i just wanted to you know tip my hat to you all the credit in the world to, to what you're doing i, I feel honored you. to have been invited to be on this podcast so for uh, for building men it's um i mean one you could listen to the podcast i have 
150 something episodes out right now. I put out an episode every single week. I, I interview amazing people from all over the world, stories of of resilience, stories of success, of failure. And, and I talk a lot about their experience in education. I'm most active on Instagram. It's building.men. Our website is buildingmen.io. And we have a cool event coming out in mid-September called The Foundation. And it's a, a virtual online group coaching. Uh, I'm going to have a group for uh, middle school age young men. So that 11 through 14 for high school age young men. And then for the kids that are in that late teens to early 20s, where they're in that no man's land of, okay, what do we do right now? We're <laughs> in school or we're out of school. And what do we, we move back into mom and dad's basement? Like what's our, what's our next step here? So um, that's what I'm doing right now. You can find all that information on the website as well. Amazing. I mean, Dennis, what? an awesome conversation. You fire us up every single time we connect and it feels so good to know the work that you're doing in the world and the impact you're making on these young men. Because my goodness, when we can raise good men and good women, the next generation of leaders is, I mean, already set up for it's success already set up for success so thank you for the work that you also do and thanks for being with us today so absolutely you guys go check him out seriously we um, get asked enough we get we asked. are doing our best to find you could say I got, we got a guy i got a guy, we got a guy. Hey, you got a guy. a guy so until next time you guys enjoy this episode we'll see you on the next one we say this every time, but wow, what a powerful episode. These conversations always leave us feeling so fired up and inspired. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in with us. If you're looking for more, head over to girlsmentorship.com WTL for the show notes. And if you felt as inspired by listening to this conversation as we did having it, we would be ecstatic if you'd advocate for us in one or all of the next three ways. One, by sharing this episode with a friend or on your social media. Two, by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating and an honest review. And three, by following us on social media. This community is full of movers and shakers. We share ideas, we ask questions. So if you're interested, we've linked our Instagram account as well as our exclusive community on Facebook in the show notes. Until next time, you guys, remember, the more you know, the better you do. And this bomb-ass episode was sponsored by Girls Mentorship. <laughs>